joined today by Andrew Quatrin or Q. So thanks a lot for coming on and uh, having a chat with me. Of course, thanks for having me. I look I look forward to it. Yeah, I wish we could have met in met in person, but uh, this is about as good as we'll get. Hey, it's uh, it's almost as intimate as you can get, so I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I thought we could start if you just wanted to tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, maybe a quick snapshot of who you are, what you do, and maybe a little bit about your background uh, in terms of, you know, like your rugby CV, and then uh, we can move on from there. Of course. Uh, like Mike said, I'm I'm Andrew. I go by Q by most people. And uh, I right now I play for the Toronto Arrows. Uh, it's in Major League Rugby. Uh, we're the only Canadian team in the league. I've been playing with them for two years since we, since we joined the league. And before that, I went to Wilfrid Laurier University. I majored in geography with a social minor. I guess I, I wasn't particularly like an academic, but uh, my GPA definitely went up over the uh, over the years, so I was proud of that. Uh, I was fortunate enough in my second year, uh, first year to play with the U18 Canadian team, and then in my third year to play with the U20 team. Um, and from there, I played with the Ontario Blues, and we won, I believe, three CRC championships when I was on the team, which is great. And then most recently, I was fortunate enough to be capped uh, last summer against the States for Canada. So I got my first cap then. And then uh, I just, I guess, recently, a couple months ago, got back from Japan uh, for the, the 2019 World Cup was there, which was which was unreal. So um, that's that's about it for me. I uh, Right now, it's tough because our season got canceled. I've been... I've been trying to sort of do what I can at home, working out, running, uh, walking and stuff, but uh, I'm hoping that this can come to an end soon. We can get rugby going again, as yeah. I'm sure you are, Mike. Eh? Like, oh, yeah. Um, so It's weird going into the summer and not having summer rugby. Especially now, eh? Like, this is where you're getting, the, you're getting like the spring snow a little bit. Like, usually you've had a couple practices by now. Right. Uh, and nothing's going on, so it's, it's nerve-wracking for sure. So I thought what we could do is sort of structure the conversation so so the topic that Q and I will be covering today, we'll be talking about is transition to pro rugby. And I thought we could structure that around sort of pre-university, during his university experience, and then post-university with, with the Toronto Arrows and, and Rugby Canada at the World Cup. So I guess to start off, when did you start playing rugby and, and, and why rugby? Yeah, so I, I started playing rugby in grade nine. I went to uh, Bill Crothers in Markham. I don't know if you are Unionville, I guess it would be considered. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but uh, it, it was it was a sports school. And I mean, I went there my first grade nine year and I was there for a year, but I, I, that's where I learned to play rugby. I think it was more because I played like baseball for summer sport and soccer. And it, I was sort of just looking for another sport, I guess. And, so, and uh, summer rugby was a sport. And uh, it was it was like, well, they promoted a lot at Bill Crothers. Uh, oh, okay. Because there's two good coaches there. So that's when I truly started, yeah. So then how did that, you know, those sort of early formative rugby years develop into thoughts around maybe, hey, I could do this professionally? Like I was always, I always grew up in a sport sort of oriented family. So, and it's weird because in grade nine, I was an outside center. Like I played fullback <laughs> for the Aurora Barbs when I was 13 or 14, I guess, and 15. And it wasn't until I sort of, like, I guess it was weird because puberty obviously plays a huge role in rugby you sort of find like you're changing positions so I think that sort of helped me develop like a not not like an amazing skill set but a little bit of a skill set on passing and whatnot but I I sat on the bench honestly mostly through my first grade nine year so 
I think it was just something I like plugging away at in the summer, uh, especially in high school. I wasn't really like flashy or anything. And then eventually when like the Ontario Junior Blues started coming into things, that's when I think I sort of started realizing what like potential I had, I guess. And I, I knew I needed to get bigger and whatnot. So that's where I sort of started focusing on like weights come like 16, 17 years old. So the puberty thing played a like pretty big role for me. And I think that's just the natural, I think, transition of a rugby player is everybody kind of ends up in the front row at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> usually, usually people start there though, and then they sort of, they, they grow out. I ended up back in it, which is, hey, I'll take it anywhere I can yeah. be on the field, but. No, that's great. So then would you like, would you consider yourself a, a bit of a gym rat then? Like even from back in. When you're 16, 17 or? Well, now, yeah, I consider myself a gym rat. Probably when I first got into university and obviously like uh, you, had a, you had a school gym and stuff like that. Um, you know, some of the coaches are always like, oh, you're working out too much. And uh, which is funny for me. And I know and I know I am. So I, this the theme of this summer for me is uh, more agility, less weights. Fair. So I, I have been running a fair, a fair bit but uh, I, I do love going to the gym and, and getting getting a good lift in. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that because uh, a number of questions from some of my listeners have come in around some specifics with that. But uh, what would you say are some of your early influences in rugby? Maybe, you know, an important or an impactful coach or, or a friend or something like that? I Like one of my, my cousins that I actually ended up going to university with, uh, Ryan Gam. He's not really my cousin, but he's... Uh, He's my god brother, so we call him my cousin. But he was sort of like, hey, you should try rugby. And, and so I tried it out. And anyways, he ended up going to Laurier too. When, and I went to Laurier, so it sort of worked out. Yeah. But he was probably a big influence for me because he's just like, come out. All the guys all the guys are playing it. I'm not, I'm not like a big social butterfly. So I was like, hey, I'll go meet some new people and whatnot. And then uh, coaching-wise, probably when I was in when U16s and actually the Laurier coach, uh, Ian McLeod, he was a pretty big influence for me. And even like, he, he was an influence for me in my like fourth and fifth year at, at Laurier. Just like, we had such a good relationship. I think a re- like relationship between a coach and a player, like outside of sport is just as important as like your relationship, like on, on the field and like practicing and whatnot. So that was, that was huge for me. Uh, that was probably one of my, he's probably my biggest influence in rugby. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny that you say Ian McLeod too, because I've been coached by Tom, Tom McLeod, his son. And, uh, and I see a lot of that too, because I know like Tom's a good friend of mine and I learned a ton from him as a coach. Yeah. He, I mean, Tom, Tom was at Laurier for a bit, I guess. And then rightfully so he wanted to sort of get his own thing going and he did a great job at Trent. And yeah, yeah. so they have just, they just, those, like the McLeods just have a really good way of like sort of stepping away from rugby when it needs to be stepped away from and sort of like working on a like, just like if you're working on your system, they're going to work on a relationship with a player just as much. They have a really good way of, like, joking around and stuff. So they can read their players pretty well. So that was huge. Were there any, I guess, early achievements? You, you know, you'd mentioned some of the the Blues stuff and, you know, some of the tryouts for that. Was that, I guess, what pushed you? You said that's when you sort of identified that, hey, maybe I'm, you know, pretty good at this. But were there any sort of moments where you're just like, you know what, I want more of this? Let's yeah. let's see where it goes. Yeah, I think for me, which was cool, and I don't, I guess that happened U eighteen, but like U sixteen Ontario, I was like sort of, and I, for me, and like achievements are great, 
but I think I learn more like uh, by failing. A set mm. like as cliche as that sounds, but that that's what how I'm sort of driven. So I I didn't originally make U16 Ontario, which Ian McLeod was coaching, and um, so he said uh, whatever, like come back next year, sort of thing. And then eventually someone got hurt, so I got reintroduced to the squad as sort of that like uh, non-traveling reserve, and right. so I made it that. So I guess I ended up making it, but just that sort of failure of not making that, and then. A bunch of those guys on that U16 team made uh, U17 Canada, and I I didn't make it. So I think sort of not achieving something sort of like drove me to like put my head down and sort of work hard and whatnot. The first real achievement, though, that big was U18 club. We beat we won the like all Ontarios, which was pretty cool. In in extra kicks, like extra time was gone. Uh, I don't know how much it was, but we went to kicks, yeah, and we won on the last kick. And so that was like my first time, like really like winning something. And so that like winning something big. And so that was, that was cool. That was awesome. So yeah, I, definitely winning obviously is, is why a lot of us like to play, but like sort of that failing aspect is what like pushed me to sort of strive for better, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a good mindset to have. So take us through a bit of a timeline then of your, your OUA career. So I went to, I went to Laurier, which was, which was an awesome opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was actually originally supposed to go to Trent, which is funny enough. Well, that's where I met you. Yeah, exactly. It was at one of the training camps. So, yeah. So, I was going to go to Trent, truthfully. And then Ian, he had an opportunity at Laurier and said, hey, would you want to come play here? And uh, my sister went there and whatnot. And I've had fa- other family members go there. So, I was like, hey, why not? So, I, I went there and we weren't so hot the first year and second year. And then it, gradually we got better. And I think that that at the end of the day, that sort of came behind like Ian starting that project and whatnot and in terms of getting Laurie out of the basement of the OUA. My cousin, like I said, like I'd mentioned earlier, went there as well. And and there was a couple other like pretty core guys that like really got along and we started to, I guess, develop this culture. It wasn't like the culture was forced that I, which I find like some people might try and do. Like it was just like we got along so well and. And uh, we were we were literally buddies off the field, like like best friends off the field and best yeah, friends on yeah. the field. And I mean, we weren't like the most skilled or whatnot, but our hard work it was it was pretty much unmatched in that league. So that's that's what I think the best experience about university and and sort of what I guess what sort of helped drive me was that hard work. You know, like you don't have a lot of skill, but but the hard work was was off the charts. So yeah, and do you think that helped sort of develop your your mindset going forward like after with you know you come into a program that maybe isn't doing so great at the time but there you can sort of forge that identity through your hard work and develop that program like being key piece in in those sort of four or five years that you were there yeah that that definitely was motivating especially seeing that like and the guys before us no disrespect in them at all yeah they they were almost more skilled than us but with like the previous sort of culture and coach, it just wasn't, it wasn't flourishing. And I think all those boys coming in with like my year and the year younger than us, we were all willing to sort of work for Ian and and we trusted his process and whatnot. So I think that that just showed us like the harder we work and the harder we train, we're only going to get better. And obviously from there. Yeah. So that was a big, uh, big drive for us. I relate to that a lot because my trend experience is very similar in terms of, when I first started playing, we weren't even in the OUA. Yeah, we were yeah just exactly. Some, 
small undergrad university in the middle of a forest. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it was working our way to that and then and then beyond. And, you know, a lot of the pieces that you're saying is that sort of core culture, big driver for that. So, and with other people I've had on the podcast as well, uh, talking about team culture and, and whatnot, just having that as such a critical piece. So I'm not surprised that, that you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think personally just culture is like sort of you can't breed it you know what i'm saying like it's just it it happens it's 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 natural yeah yeah so that was that was a big thing at laurier we didn't try and we didn't try and force it everyone just truly got along and like was willing to fight for one another so yeah it was it was awesome that's great so talking then again about your your career in university as an athlete but also as a student and also you know trying to push on these higher level teams and and get looks at, you know, maybe the blues and Canada and so forth. What was your experience like trying to balance all those commitments? Yeah, it was, it was tough after the rugby season, like in in the OUA, January's and February and even March, that would sort of be my time for like Saturday's blues sessions. So it was tough, right? There you, you can't really, like I couldn't go out the night before and whatnot. I know it like in partying and in university and whatnot. Not that that was a sacrifice. That was a choice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I sacrificed going out. That was a choice. I wanted to pursue rugby and it was something I enjoyed, I guess, more than going out. Right. I guess that's the way I looked at it. And so obviously like all that balance was tough. I just found I wanted to put, <laughs> I, I hate admitting to it, but I was putting my my skills to where I really wanted to succeed. So not like I, I put my skills and my smarts enough to university to get a degree. I, I'm not, I'm going to admit I didn't go all in on it. Uh, I went sort of all in on rugby and, and, but I made sure obviously the balance I needed to have good grades to play rugby. So I made sure there was a balance there. You know, you, you take care of your grades, like rugby is the fun part. Exactly. Yeah. So I took care of my grades, I would say enough. I had a decent GPA coming out of school. I had like a seven four, which I was happy with. Yeah, and that's not to downplay. You got a university degree. That's a pretty oh great yeah 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 too. Yeah, and it was <laughs> and and that's the thing. Like I I, I got in. I, didn't, I only got into university with a seventy two average at, coming out of high school, and I finished with like an honors, which I was like very proud. That's that's probably one of my biggest achievements, like personally, because I started like I don't know if you. I was I was almost set up for failure. I um I was like one of those last late summer acceptances, <laughs> like we'll take we'll take your eight grand tuition sort of thing. Uh and I and I did pretty well. So I mean, you sort of learn what you want to do good at, I found and and I I, th- I thought I succeeded at both in university, both through sport, fortunately, who was able to play and was was fairly healthy and, and through uh going to class. Like I, I missed three classes and they were because I was out of the country. I went to every single, I told myself I'll go to every single class in university. That's not a lie. I never skipped a class. So that's an accomplishment. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's a big accomplishment. You, you break it down and it's like, what, 60 bucks a class. Uh, like if you're not on scholarship, so it's, it's expensive or something. It depends what the class is. So I told myself, uh, yeah, I'll go to every single class. So yeah, I th- that's how I found my balance. Just chose what I wanted to direct my uh, direct my attention to. And so, you know, you'd mentioned you're looking at Laurier and, and at one point Trent as well. And as you mentioned scholarships there, did you ever consider going down to the States and looking for maybe a sports scholarship or something, being an athletic guy? And Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's a tough one, eh, Mike? Because 
and I don't even know because I haven't even done enough research into it at the time. Especially, I was just a kid from Ontario playing rugby, like just enjoying it. Right. So I didn't, right. and and most of the Ontario boys chose like universe uh, Ontario universities. Like it's got great education, and so I don't really know if there was a a, a market for like big scholarships. Like D, like I don't even know if there was a D one market. You know what I'm saying? Like not like hockey or soccer. So I never, it never really came, came to mind when I was thinking about where I was going. I was more just, just playing it because I liked it. And that's, you know, that's one thing I like about how Canada broadly has sports set up. You know, on one hand, it would be great if we were able to get some money for playing rugby at at a university or something like that. Yeah. At the same time, it just totally takes that out of it. Yeah. And it's just people who do end up playing varsity sports are there purely because they enjoy the sport and chances are like like trent did you have to have the grades to play mm-hmm. and the only way you can get a scholarship is if you have the grades that's how it was at laurier that's the only way you could yeah. get a scholarship so going back to my previous point like i think like Laur- i don't know if trent ever did it but laurier went down to play like michigan university of michigan like okay is it big blue it might be it's the blue and yellow teams at the wolverines and they won like 67 7 that that's how strong that Laurier team was, right? And they were fourth place in the OUA at that time. So right. I think I think obviously like the the OUA is just as or more competitive league than than down there. So and again, I don't have the the knowledge on all the other schools, but but yeah, I think that the competition in the OUA was just as just as good. And I'll circle back to that a little bit later um, when we talk about the arrows and some MLR stuff. Yeah, uh, particularly with them announcing the the college draft yeah i'd yeah. be curious to get your thoughts on that but we'll we'll circle back from to that a bit later but yeah, yeah um so a couple questions came in from listeners around your time while you were in university and and one of them was around your training so okay. they're asking uh how many hours or days per week were you in the gym to develop the size and strength to become a professional front row player so i think for me i was in the gym in season, I was in the gym four or five days a week. And that wasn't being like, that wasn't like always going all out in the gym. But uh, during season, yeah, that was a standard. And then probably six days a week uh, out of season. So just with that too, that's with, in terms of the off season, that's including your, like you said, your Saturday blues and the fact that you weren't going out <laughs> on Saturday yeah, so night. Would, and- yeah, exactly. So I would usually, so sorry. So Saturday blues, yeah, I, that's that's my bad. I would take the Sunday off. So I would have five days a week and then I'd have that six day as rugby. So I'd be six days, like a physical activity, five days in the gym. And so, you know what? Like you actually realize so much. And again, it's not a sacrifice. It's because I chose to do it. Like just one, two, three units of alcohol is actually so bad for like muscle growth. Just in like research. Like, I mean, if you're trying to get big in university, like that's like alcohol is not your friend. First of all, an easy thing to cut out. And oh yeah, yeah, right. Like I've gone and had like bubblies at like socials, like the the carbonated soda, right? And like you drink <laughs> eight of them, right? Just because you're just it's that it's just the social. You people, if you see what people with drinks drinking, it's just the social thing to do. So I I'd be confident going with with a six pack of, of bubblies and drinking carbonated water. So I think, and obviously proper diet is another important thing. And obviously listen to listening to a trainer. Those were like the main like drivers for me, I would say in university to get like to the size I was. And now I think now I'm starting to realize like I need to become 
like fitter. I want to be like the two that's like a back row rather than like a two that's like a, a front row. So now I I probably if if I was back in university first year I would probably on two of those off days mix in a, like some conditioning work some some hit running training uh, as right, as right. some coaches would call it so size is important but but fitness is obviously just as important if not more important and that's just my personal perspective just from 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 learning and playing with the arrows of last two years well for sure and if you think of it in terms of maybe this is personal personal opinion here but it's a lot harder to build 10 pounds of muscle than to lose 10 pounds and become fitter you know oh yeah yeah uh because yeah. it just takes such consistent effort uh to put that that size on um so i think that's why a lot of the questions have come in around that is guys who are maybe undersized or you know look at guys like you on the the arrows or, or whatever um and say well i just need to get bigger it's it's tough but i think like if you want it enough it's easy to say oh how can you get it for someone to tell you but man diet and like like i said our bad friend alcohol are not your friends like yeah. it's just it'll 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 hurt you more than anything and so here's a question then in terms of you know, culture on your team, missing out on some social stuff. Obviously, there's a big social culture around the sport. Yeah. So in uni, I'd go, I'd still go to the socials and, and, and have fun. And I'm not saying I never had a beer, right? Of course, you're gonna have a beer to celebrate and whatnot. Right. For sure. But obviously, on the nights before, you know, like I wanted to train the next day and whatnot. And, and definitely, I never did the night before practice just because it was, like going to an Ontario practice, especially as a young kid, I wanted to perform. So no, no, they, and they all respected that. They all respected sort of the goals I had. And, and uh, yeah, so no, there was never any flack, which is all, which is something you want from teammates, right? A team, Definitely, team yeah. with good culture is they're, they're going to sort of support you. Let you do, you know, your individual things. Exactly. I guess another follow-up for that then, you'd mentioned listening to trainers and listening to like dietitians or, you know, you've, you've identified that the gym is something that you're really interested in. You like working out. Yeah. Uh, is that sort of your mindset with that stuff as well? Like we're very proactive with that? I would, I guess you could call it being proactive, but I knew that I needed change sort of thing. I like, like for example, when I wanted to get fitter and, and now I'm sort of in that process you know, using this time that I have to like, I really want to, want to get down to about 111, 110 kg. So I'm 113 this morning. So I've lost two, three kg in the past four weeks, which I'm pretty proud of. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I've, I've always sort of gone to trainers and said, Hey, like, this is what I want to do. This is what, you know, but I've always like loved that lifting sort of aspect of it. But I said, right. Hey, this is what I want to do. And the, and this is my diet. And so they're usually like, okay, record your diet cue. And like, they've been very, like everyone I've gone to has been like very accommodating. They're just like, record your diet and whatnot. And, and we'll sort it out after in terms of like what you eat, how you can become better and stuff. So, I mean, in circumstances, obviously like I was eating bacon every day for breakfast and so I had like I've cut that out now now I just have just my eggs and and spinach and so they've always been like accommodating and helping me but again it's it comes back to that same thing like if if you want it to happen it's not going to happen unless like you put work to it and that work can even be like brain work where it's like no I can't have the bacon today you know what I mean the work doesn't have to be running four 400 meter uh, intervals the but you can have like brain work and sort of willpower work. So yeah, just exerting that sort of self control 
over, yeah. over your bad habits. Yeah. So I'm like fasting now, uh, like intermittent fasting. So I eat from 11 to seven and by like eight 30, I'm usually a little hungry, but I'm like, no, like, cause that's usually when I'd have my, some trail mix or something. Right. And, uh, I can't have that. So it's, it's once I got into the groove of it, it's been pretty fun. Right now, uh, you'd mentioned you're looking to drop a bit of weight and, and, you know, trim up a bit. What would your day be like right now in terms of, cause I, you know, I'm not a big breakfast person, but I don't know if I can make it to 11 <laughs> yeah. o'clock without having something in my stomach, even just like a coffee or something. Yeah. So I'll wake up 8:45, nine ish. And I'll have a, I'll have a green tea. I used to be a coffee guy, but now I've been drinking green tea and I'll put some turmeric in it. Really good for like reduction of inflammation. I've been reading again, this is all stuff I've been reading on the internet, Google scholar, but I've, I've have read it on the internet. (laughs) So I put some ginger and some turmeric in, and I usually go for, I'll either do a, a walk outside, like a 5k walk, just, uh, just to the river and back, or I'll go do some yoga on my mat. And sort of like loosen up and then um and then right at 11 o'clock i'm eating like i'm cooking at like it takes about like 17 minutes for breakfast i'm cooking at like 10 43 and uh yeah so i'll eat one meal and then i'll sort of uh sometimes i'll watch netflix or play xbox and then i'll eat my next meal at about 12 31 and then i'll train i'll do my runs or i'll uh do my lift i've been running four times a week uh, and then sometimes I'll have a little lift circuit in there and then I'll have, uh, my sort of afternoon snack and then dinner. Like I said, like I'm taking my last bite at six fifty nine, and then, uh, I'm either reading at night or again, playing some Xbox. But now, now that we've chatted, I'm going to start doing, uh, doing my podcast again. So that'll fill some time, but that's my average day. That's uh very structured. And I think, you know, if you're looking at achieving some goals uh, like you are and a guy who seems to be good at hitting those goals um you know it's a good good way forward it looks like i think for me though if if that doesn't go as planned like mentally i'm just ruined like if something if there's a mix-up in there at any time you know what i mean if i don't get my meals at those exact times like i was just i was eating right before we got on the call yeah <laughs> and and so if i don't get those like plans down obviously if it's interrupted or something i'm like oh my god so it's 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 been doing well yeah i'll be sure to have this all wrapped up then time for you to cook some stuff <laughs> yeah no, no no pressure there no pressure there. <laughs> um so you know, this is some stuff that you've already been talking about or sharing. Uh, but another question from a listener was, what are some habits that you notice top performing guys like yourself, uh, but maybe other guys doing as well, uh, that separate you and them uh, from those who maybe didn't make it to the provincial and national sides? So whatever that looks like, if that's gym or diet or, or some of that training stuff, or even, you know, some of the culture pieces you were talking about. Uh, just really, I guess this question's around the, the habits. Yeah, so there's a lot of guys on the arrows that are just, and for one example, our, our captain Dan, he is just like, well, he's a, he's an Oxford grad, like, so that alone just shows his commitment to sort of getting better. His number one thing is recovery. He, that guy is, you know, he's always he's always in his tights and his compressions. He's always stretching and whatnot. He's doing his review. Guys that are doing the review, they're that's what I've noticed like is a big thing. And what do you mean guys, by review? Oh, sorry. So just like finding time to, if, if their coach talks to you in practice about something, maybe your hands or, or whatnot in terms of like where they were and stuff, just going back and, and, and watching that 
And okay. And making sure, like, sort of, sort of seeing like the visual cue. It's easy for a coach to say, "Hey, get your hands up in front of you a little earlier." Blah blah. blah. And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." And yeah, you might do it the next time, but I find for me, like, I need to actually see it. You know what I mean? Especially with lineout throws, I need to see my throws. But yeah, Dan Moore is a great example. I mean, just like preaches recovery. He's always doing it. He's always like doing his home, doing his homework away from the field type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think those are good habits. And and a big thing I noticed with a bunch of the Arrows boys is extras. Like after after practice is done, after you're done like 90, 100 minutes of practice, if you're, you know, like our kickers, Sammy Malcolm and, and Will Kelly and, and Giuseppe are, are all kicking and stuff like that. And all three of the hookers are throwing and the wingers and back three are working on high ball. So I think it's like, yeah, your work's done, but it's like, what else can I do to improve the team? It's like that good guy at the office that like finishes all his work for the day and he'll go around and ask anybody if they need help. I don't know if that happens. I'd hope that happens somewhere, but uh, it's 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 doing your work for the day as like an individual and then sort of improving your like individual skills after, but that'll help the team succeed. So that's one of those sort of sayings you hear a lot is, you know, champions do extra and and it's good to see that you know you see that in the arrows guys and and people canadian rugby players who've been very successful and how you know like you're saying now has kind of helped you transition to that that professional rugby career yeah so jumping back to some of the university stuff so i'm going to share a bit of a story uh, i remember the last time so the last time you and i played against each other was when laurier played trent so i think this is the 2016-2017 season uh, and it was our last game of the season our la- and my last home game that I played at Trent. Uh, so it was a big one for me. And I, I specifically remember before the game watching you get off the bus on crutches. And as a front row guy, seeing you get off on crutches, you know, there's a little thing in my mind being like, oh, maybe I don't have to play against you today. That'd be great. But on the same time, you know, I know that you've dealt with uh, a number of injuries over your time in university too. So... I'm um, just wondering if you wanted to share a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So or if you remember that game at all. Either. Yeah. No. Oh, I, I remember that game because there was emotions flying everywhere. It's funny. We yeah. were having a rough night the night before and, and our, at our captain's run. It was just not going well and balls were being dropped. And like Ian, Ian McLeod was in like not a bit of a fit, but he was all riled up. Like, come on, boys, get it together. And so we, we said, all right, last one, let's make it smooth. And we dropped the ball. And then we said, okay, we'll go one more time. And one of the boys um, sort of fell, just like was running with the ball and sort of fell in front of me. He tried to step and I jumped over him and, and I twisted my ankle like bad. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me, man? Of course, like the day before a game. And he and Ian's in a fit. He's like, he's like, he's just jumping around like, what's going on? You should have ended it and all this stuff. Anyways uh that so i do remember that game and yeah i that was that was just adrenaline you played a couple of yeah a couple of painkillers yeah it was an it was an amazing game uh just iced all night sort of scraping at it with like my massage tool right uh a couple painkillers and just adrenaline i'd say like you said it was a there was a was it the head of the trend was it or was there was just a bunch of people there though i like it was a yeah, and I know it was kind of a, a personal one too, because Tom, because so Tom kind of and Ian, right? Yeah, so kind of, yeah, exactly. So I sort of forgot about it, um, but yeah, so that was that was mem- memorable. But nothing came out of it; just a bad sprain, and and it bounced back after. But I'd say one of my worst injuries. I had like two with my head. I had uh, just a knee to the head, but 
it somehow went through my cap and I started bleeding, like bleeding profusely, like 28 staples to my head, like at, at, uh, at a blood sub. So they just sub you out and for them to clean up the blood and then they sub you back in. And, uh, that's the worst pain I've probably been through because the stapler jammed in my head. So one of the boys was like just joking around. He's on my wrist for like my pulse, but yeah, that was bad. And then one of my other ones was when I was like 18 and I took a knee to the eye and it split my eyelid open. So like if I pulled my eyelid down and like close it, I could like see through my eyelid. And that was like, I think that was only like eight stitches, but, but they had to freeze my eye. So they stuck the needle like in my eyelid and I don't know if it went in my eye or whatever, but that was, that hurt a lot. That's uh, terrifying. I guess everybody, yeah, and that's funny because the guy was like a, he was a pretty good surgeon, I guess, so he kept getting called back, so the the freezing kept coming out, so he had to do the freezing three times, and so, yeah, that that was painful, but everyone's been there, eh, and and it's almost like afterwards, like, the fun stories you have from it, because, like, you remember those injuries, and I was watching, like, a documentary, I forget what it was about, but it's like, some people are like, oh, like that must hurt. And, and pretty much every rugby player is like, yeah, like it hurts. But like the pain goes away and you're fine after because you really are, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. been in the same place, Mike, where it's like, yeah, that hurt. Like I could put that on the scale of like worst pains in my life, but it's going to go away. <laughs> like, so I guess you're almost expecting worse to happen. Eh? You're just like, what else can happen? What else? Exactly. Can happen? <laughs> so, yeah, I've been fortunate. Like, I mean, not knock on wood here, but uh, some people like, Right, you just hear about the stories that like, oh, they do their ACL and then first game back, they do their other ACL. And it's like you got to feel so bad for those guys because so much, so much like recovery and like physio goes into like that just to Mm. for it to happen again. And I've been like, I've had a couple hamstring injuries, nothing like terrible, terrible. But I mean, even just those, those are four week physios. So I can't imagine people going through like eight months. You know what I mean? And and so you feel for guys, definitely. Even, you know, before before I started recording this, you and I were talking about that last episode I recorded with Danielle. Yeah, yeah. Who had, who's had, like, multiple knee injuries. Yeah. And so, coming in from a couple coaches, there's a few questions that they had around the promotion of players. Uh, specifically, so, context to this. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Sorry, I was going to ask you. Yeah, university-aged players and and how coaches can promote them, provide them opportunities for development maybe beyond their own teams and sort of support them in that transition to higher levels of rugby. So question specifically was, what is the best way we, so again, coaches can put players forward and promote them? So is this in-person visits maybe with other coaches uh film like passing along game film to to other coaches and highlighting stuff or testing info you know what what sort of ways were you promoted that or if at all um that you felt sort of helped you navigate that that life after uh laurier rugby yeah i think even just uh for example like even if a, a for me yeah for me personally if i just heard from again for example from ian like hey uh, the Ontario coach is like, they're interested in you, think you got a good attitude, blah, 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 but they want you to get, uh, like, like for example, fitter or stronger. I think that goes a long way for a lot of kids, especially like if the kid's got the right attitude and is going to put the work into it. So I think, uh, I guess that would go down to a coach having a good relationship with uh, sort of a coach above them, a coach in like a higher place, if that makes sense, like at a higher league sort of thing. 
Right. So having like affiliations with, so if the OUA had an affiliation with like the arrows in which some coaches are involved, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. So that goes a long way. I, I think for, for coaches to just be giving feedback back to players because if a, a player hears something like that, like, oh, blah, 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 thinks you're a good player, it sparks, that sparks some energy in the kid's head. And I, and I see testing info there. So that's another, that was another big thing for me because I'm, for me personally, I sort of beat myself up over about it. I'm like a yes, no person and like, give me the exact information. And so like, when I see that testing info, it's like, as of now, are you on any of like the, are you on any of the, um testing blocks like so do you meet any of the requirements yes if you and then if i would see i don't i'd be like okay i need to work at that so i think the testing info is a big one for some kids and that that would also show right like if they're say they're really fit but they don't quite meet the strength numbers that would be evident that hey i need to get stronger or if they're very strong and they don't meet the running numbers it's like okay i need to you know work on my aerobic anaerobic stuff yeah so having that gives those sort of development pieces yeah. there i think it's all on the individual too depends how the individual is going to act that's where like it comes down to coaches sort of reading reading their players and stuff i think and and, and working on personalities that way and ha- being able to sit down with them and have those chats like hey what are your goals are you done after after the oua or do you want to you know what i mean because a lot of coaches i don't know if they would know did you have that conversation uh with with ian I think he always knew I wanted – well, because he, he would know about my attitude where, like, I would d- tell a prof I, admit I was missing class because of rugby, like I had mentioned. Uh, so he know – and, like, I would CC him on the email and stuff. So he knew I was very rugby first. Not that it was, like, a far first and second away from class, but, like, it, they were very close. But I would definitely go to rugby over uh, class if that was – if that happened. Whereas some players, like some guys that are BBA guys and they're serious and that's where they're getting their scholarships, rightfully so, are going to go to class before rugby, right? That's rightfully so. And and so I think Ian Ian knew that what my intentions with rugby were, but he also knew, for example, like a guy like my cousin, uh, he wanted to he wanted to get his CPA and he wanted to, that was his aspirations. The guy was a great rugby player and loved rugby, but his goals were, hey, I want to be a CPA. So... I think, and Ian knew that, right? So he knew all these guys' intentions. Um, so I think that's important as well. Yeah, I think that's good feedback for maybe any coaches listening in as, you know, have those conversations. And assuming most probably do. Um, yeah, but if you yeah, haven't, exactly. you know, maybe sit sit down and have a chat with the players and see what those long-term goals are. Exactly. And, they, and then you can start your relationship right there. You sort of You sort of have an idea of what the guy wants to do when he's older. So we'll take a a bit of a shift now. So a lot of the research on athletes in transition, this idea where where athletes are going through some major change. So a lot a lot of the research though focuses on you know maybe injuries or so returning from injury or or retirement uh, or professional pursuits as you'd mentioned with the, with your cousin. One of the reasons why I wanted to explore this this whole idea this theme for this episode of the transition to professional rugby is because I think athletes perspectives and experience might be a little underrepresented where there's this maybe belief that once they're there they've made it but that doesn't mean that there aren't you know trials and tribulations to be had Um, and so you know i'll get i'll give an example that i was thinking of with the nhl you know you have guys who toronto for example guys who are maybe on the marlies 
who have to shuffle up and down a roster. So now they're with the the Leafs. Now they're with the Marlies on a week to week basis, and there's not really any they they haven't confirmed their role on that higher level team. Yeah, and it sort of bounces around a bit. And I can imagine that would be very difficult. And you know, in terms of opportunities here in Canada, we're we're very fortunate now to have the Toronto Arrows, a local professional rugby club but you know something like the world cup isn't something that happens very often even test matches aren't something that happened very often and so that can be you know maybe difficult if you're looking to make that jump up so i'm wondering what your experience with that transition is with uh with a mind maybe to some of your supports your support system as well as what that means to you to be able to play in a local league and before major league rugby existed did you have any thoughts of what your professional pursuits might look like? Yeah, so f- for me, my like just transitioning to that, and it was tough because I mean, you would know too. Like sometimes you're riding on a school bus to games in the OUA and whatnot. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was definitely a lot different. Uh, and then obviously with the arrows, we're flying to games and stuff. So I think. You know, it was important for me to like check in and and uh, someone like big like I you know, I've mentioned and he's becoming the focal point, which I'm sure he loves is Ian uh, McCl- Ian McLeod and Ian would always just check in in terms of like saying, hey, sort of do you, you know what I mean? Touch touch the ball and run with the ball. Sort of just not hype me up, but he would just just uh, let me know what I needed to do to sort of like show like my presence and whatnot. And so that that helped. Because he would never say that like at the Laurier field. He I almost took it not took it for granted, but I knew what he needed me to do when we played at when I played at Laurier. So th- that that definitely helped in terms of um like my support system to help me transition and and my mom in terms of just like texting me and whatnot and saying, Hey, good luck and 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 like don't be nervous and whatnot. But I think another thing too was, you know, coaches uh like for example, Carps, uh, Aaron Carpenter, he's been great just sort of saying what he wants just from us. Like in last year, for example, like he knew that my last time I played was was for in the in a university league. Like, right, I was still going to university when I was playing. And he's just like, hey, man, just just do you. He sort of kept it cool. So let let me relax and didn't hype me up too much in terms of like, you need to do this, you need to do that. So and I think that helps because Carps had been there 80 times for Canada, right? Like for all his, like he knew he had been under the pressure and stuff like that. So like he read me like a book, like he knew exactly what I needed to know. Right. We were, like I said, we're driving on school buses to games like two months earlier. And so he just said, Hey, just do you go have fun. Right. Like, um, but you know, if I made a mistake, you'd say, Hey, just, just forget about it and, and correct the next one. So I think the transitioning, it definitely like helped having those people sort of like guiding me and and letting me know what I need to do. Does that, does that answer you, Mike? Or do you have anything? Yeah, no that that's a that's a great response. And I think you know this idea of you keeping grounded or, or keeping the stress levels low and and not having to look too much into it. Once once you are able to to let your mind get out of your body's way, you know how to play rugby. You know the movements. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of people have that sort of mental block and and stress about stuff. Exactly, and I th- and I think even to touch on that with the with the blues, 
uh, and Silver, uh, Chris Silverthorne, when he was obviously he's co he's our director of rugby now. But when it was the Blues, he had about six, seven guys in university then that were like third year university, like myself, Marcello, Pete Malazzo, Mitch Richardson, uh, and there's and there's more, right? And so he had the like his six boys, I'll say in quotations, that were like the the younger guys. And he had then the Rob Browers, the Hank McQueens, the Mike Shepherds, right? The, these guys that were like, they were men. So he, he, he knew how to handle us. He's like, like he would say to us after practice, like, boys, you're going to be great. Just, just go have fun. Let it, let it rip. Pretend you're on, on an OUA field, something like that. He would, he would, so he would keep us really like cool, which was nice because like I said, it, well, I haven't said it, but it was intimidating going to those Saturday sessions. Like I knew the five guys, but, uh, you know, like the, it was intimidating at first going into like a practice with the Rob Browers, like Andrew Wilson and Mike Shepherds. You know what I mean? Like they're they're great guys and they're my good friends now that I know them. But when you're 18, 19, those guys are they're they're big men. They're scary, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> that's funny. That's like the jump from junior rugby to senior men's. Oh yeah, yeah. It, li- literally, my first game when I got that those stitches in my eye. That was my fr- that was my first. <laughs> That was my first taste of senior rugby, so I definitely, I definitely remember that. So yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's just having your support system. Like, like I said, it's all comes down to a relationship. Like, then just knowing you, knowing what you need to hear, sort of thing. Because I, because a lot of players won't ask for it. A lot of players will like suffer, not suffer, but you know what I mean. They'll let themselves beat them up. I've been there where I've let let myself beat beat myself up if you play a bad game and. And you're like, I played so bad. And for example, this year I had a had a bad start, and uh, like in Austin, just missed missed too many throws. It was slick and whatever. At the end of the day, that's it's my stat line, uh, my fault. And uh, one of our coaches just came to me and said, "Q, just relax, man. When I was a kicker, you just just next one, next one." So uh, coaches that know how to read you, they definitely are like so much help when they put the coaching coaching role aside and they're like your bud man it helps so much so that's like very thankful for that with like the arrows guys like it's it's just awesome so a question came in from a listener uh, and they asked what league should an aspiring professional player so one who is transitioning from the OUA to higher level uh, should play in and they're asking about playing out in BC or maybe looking overseas to to help build their their sort of rugby CV Uh, I know you've been able to stay stay pretty local but like I said earlier before you know, when the arrows wasn't a thing, what were you looking at in terms of development? Yeah, so I think the first part, I mean, BC is a great league. I I never got to, to play in the BC league. I was out there and had seen a couple. I was injured at the time. But uh, BC is a great league, and it's it helps because it's all year, all year long. I think the Marshall is just is just as good. They have just as good as of players and whatnot. Um, but when I was growing up, obviously I never, I never knew. I sort of took everything just like the next day. I never knew what was going to happen. Obviously I always wanted to play in Europe. Like that's, I think that's the dream for everyone. I'm, I would assume all like a, in reverse standards, all the European hockey players would like to play in the NHL. Right. And so obviously when the MLR came up, I was like, this is great. I can, I can stay at home and, and and play here so i think for for this individual asking definitely sort of be in touch with the arrows academy i i think that's an option for them and and reach out reach out to to personnel um with it within the arrows 
and, and look for that advice. If they're looking for an immediate answer on where they want to play rugby and they can't play the OUA, I guess right now isn't really helpful because they not much travel can be done. <laughs> but but I mean, I think the Marshall is just as good enough. You you tear up the Marshall and you and if this is if you don't want to go to BC and and you have a good year, who knows what can happen from there. Um, right. Rugby's such a tight knit community, right? Like word of mouth just it spreads like wildfire. So, but if you'd like to play and and have some fun out in BC and and whatnot and live out there, that's that's another good option. I don't like what I'm saying is I don't think you can you can lose in Canada. I think both leagues, the BC and and the Marshall, are both very good leagues. But if you can go to Europe, if you if you can if you can somehow get over there and play play in the club there, I'd like that's that's probably a great experience in just itself. So so. You know, we've talked a lot about the MLR and the recent developments with that and your time now with the Arrows. And I'm glad you mentioned the like the Academy, uh, which which is another great development that they've started. So I guess bringing that all together, what does it mean to you to be a part of a professional rugby team that is both local and, and committed to developing Canadian rugby talent? Yeah, it means a lot. Uh, there's no words to it sometimes. And and. And it's funny because you're always like, oh, there's no words to it. That's so cliche. But like if you've been in a position where you can't explain it, it's like you'll understand. And it's awesome. Just like I explained, like the Rob Browers and the Mike Shepherds, like those were guys that I was practicing with. I mean, five years ago that when we were the Blues. And so we've sort of been on this journey together when when we were paying to, to fly out to Newfoundland to play playing a game you know what i mean and now yeah. to have the opportunity to be be paid and whatnot uh it's just dreams come true uh, and stay home and 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 have the opportunity to play at lamport man those like sunny days even even the rainy days but specifically the sunny days at lamport they were awesome i mean you get three thousand people in the stands like and and just seeing like the excitement that that some of the kids get like my cousins have have come to a couple of games like they don't even know what rugby is and they love it now <laughs> and so i think just that opportunity to be around like friends family and sort of do it for like the ontario rugby community unfortunately you know i it, well maybe maybe we do we do affect someone out in uh, the east coast or the west coast like i wish we could obviously fly everybody in for, and into our games all our fans but for especially specifically for the ontario community i mean it means a lot a lot to them for 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 kids to like have have like a an option to push for and sort of have that hey like one day i want to be a toronto arrow and so like it means a lot to be like one of those tr- first toronto arrows if mm-hmm. that makes sense so i think it's like it's a real honor if anything if any, if I'm going to describe it with any word, it's a real honor, and you know we've got to be so fortunate with with obviously Bill and Mark willing to like start this and 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 take it on themselves. So, mm-hmm. one thing that has developed recently with the MLR is they announced that they're going to run a draft for college players in the U.S. Do you think something like that would work here in Canada? Yeah, I, I see. I think I think with what we were just talking about, like if you're good, like. If you're a good player, I'm sure, and this is just a player speaking from the organization. Like I don't know what our our um, execs are up to, but I'm sure they know they have eyes on on people that they that they want to sort of um, go after in terms of the academy and in terms right. of contracts. So I think they have obviously their eyes on the OUA and and the BC League with with Victoria uh, University of Victoria and University of British Columbia. So I think 
it's a small enough sort of it's a small enough group where they have eyes sort of everywhere if that makes sense like we have what 36 million people in canada and like and the states are 10 times that right like 100 times that yeah, yeah. so if like so there's a lot more like the draft will will be a lot easier for the people in the states to sort of like identify like who you're going to belong to in terms of like a team whereas like with with the Toronto Arrows I think the the group's a lot smaller in terms of like players that they're interested in if that makes sense like that so makes that sense they, so that they can they can pick from those players they can send them an email um so I, I think that in Canada I don't think if I don't necessarily think it's a necessity to have a draft but I think for the some an option for the states it'll it'll work for them yeah, it just helps sort of digest those large numbers of athletes who might be interested or coming from the different programs and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's funny you say that too about Canada. The Canadian yeah. rugby community is just so small. Yeah. Which I think, like you said, is uh, something that actually happens to be a benefit for players who are looking to get noticed. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't even know. I wouldn't even know the numbers like of... of yeah, you know what I mean. They just have yeah, a big, yeah, yeah. they have a massive pool, and uh, I think our pool is a little smaller, but it, but it's more tight knit, so everyone sort of knows everyone, and mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think uh, I think it's in like a good a good position where in Canada we can just go with the flow. So with your time with Team Canada and the World Cup, tell me a little bit about that. I know you're named the roster for a couple games. Yeah, so New Zealand, South Africa, Namibia. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I mean. Like, man, first of all, I'm just, like, so honored to go, like, especially with, like, all the guys I went with and and being, like, sort of that young rookie on the squad. Like, all the boys were super, like, inviting and accepting, which was awesome. Uh, like, I, I, like I said, I was, I was only capped three times before, like, going to the World Cup. So, like, obviously very nerve-wracking for me. And, yeah, all the boys were great. Um just sort of just like i said like carps did like just like relax you and said hey it's gonna be fine just have fun and so that first game against the all blacks that was crazy so standing in front of the haka like my aunt and uncle and mom's sister were there so they were like just in awe my yeah so my uncle said it was like my my cousin fortunately we went to his first game for the carolina hurricanes in toronto so we had been there and okay. and he had been to a couple other sporting events and whatnot but he said like just this itself was just insane um so yeah standing in front of it it's all like it's all it's just all like like what's going through your mind what was going through my mind was that and 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 because they had like a we had a press conference before or whatever and there was like a someone misquoted something or some something and so they they obviously were coming at, like coming to, coming to it like any other game and it said like we we don't want to take a risk with them and so standing in front of that is just like that's that's their that's that's like I don't even know how to explain it like it was just all right this is this is it it's war to them like that's that's sort of their their war call and uh and it was crazy it, you know what it's quite comforting having the boys like you know together like we're coming in into this so it's definitely intimidating and you know it's loud it's very loud but having the boys like connected like holding holding each other by the sides like that was you know what i mean we're like all 23 boys were like 
I'm all in here. All, all, all the boys, all 31 of us were like, I'm all in here. You know what I mean? So like that just like revved us up and, and Hey, like they're one of the greatest. I know the South Africa one, but the all blacks are like one of the greatest rugby nations on the planet. Yeah. They're like the, what is it? The most successful yeah. professional Ever. sports team. Right. So it's like, and, and you know, what shows a lot a character by New Zealand is like that. They didn't take it. Like it was just, they were, you know what I mean? They were playing a tier two nation in Canada. Like they were like, no, can't take anyone for granted. They even said that. So, I mean, that, that shows a lot about like who they are, like in terms of like, mm. uh, a rugby culture. And, and so they invite us in the, into the room after and, and they're just all great guys, super down to earth guys. And so, yeah, it was, it was really, that was insane. Right. That happened. That was like, man, that's like a four hour experience. I'll never get back, which is like, is too bad, but like to have lived an experience like that, man, like, like that's in, oh, that's all time. That's all time. Right. That's all time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Uh, and then the South Africa game, obviously, that was huge for me because it was my first start. That was my fifth cap. So, like, I was, like, so nervous. Um, didn't sleep at all the night before. Just tossed and turned. And then my mom and sister and my two other buddy, my two buddies were there. They surprised me in Tokyo. So, uh, just so much to learn from, eh, Mike? It's just so fast. The guys are so smart. Uh, just like super fortunate to be on the field with them and 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 again all all the boys like all the canadian boys were like this is it we're i'm all in here um just shoulder to shoulder all in so that it was it was just so, so much of a learning experience and it sucks that it went by so fast because uh i wish i was like back there right now playing especially yeah. that's why the the last game being canceled i mean it's too bad eh? like it's yeah it's yeah i mean one. everyone like it's it was for in terms of everyone's safety and and health um it was important um and it was you know what because it was a cool stadium uh kamaishi the city it was where um the tsunami unfortunately killed um, a lot of people in that town they had they, that's why there was even more of a threat and and more of like um an awareness of what was going on and it just it was just a really cool laid out field uh and our, a couple of my friends beat fiji there at the start of the tournament of uh, with uruguay so uh, i am i would have loved to play in that um so yeah it was upsetting that that happened but again uh hats off to the like world cup organization make like taking everyone's safety into uh into it so for sure so you you'd mentioned how much of a learning experience it was can you think of any specifics that you've maybe pulled from that tournament and applied to your own training? Maybe like a uh, some some area of your game that that you wanted to develop based on what some other guy did, or or a tip, or through conversations, or yeah. Any, so I think like that? well, for like being an example of something, there was one where against the All Blacks, and it's what one of the coaches says to me all the time, and it's what I have to work on. And pretty much every rugby player is just keeping your head on a swivel. It's funny because like uh, Lucas Rumble, he's so good at like telling me that. I, he's always chatting me like just head on a swivel, head on a swivel, head up who you got. And um, so I'm a gap, like I'm the A guy. So for those of you that don't know, when a ruck happens, you line up beside the ruck. So I'm the first guy closest to the ruck and Rumble's beside me. 
and he's like, yeah, I'm outside you, I'm outside you. And who but Artie uh, Savia runs a hole right between the both of us. And, like, it was my tackle. Like, Rumble was a lot wider. But, like, Artie Savia just, like, saw that I was looking at the ruck. Should have been paying attention what's in front of me. Ran a hole. Rumble almost made the cover tackle on my missed tackle. And there's a picture of, like, Artie Savia running, like, hands, hands on the ball running through. And I haven't even turned yet. And you can see like Rumble diving, trying to tackle him. But like, so that, that inexperience just showed me like, just got to have your head on a swivel because those guys are so good that they will just take advantage of everything they can get. And um, that, so that was a big one for me. And it's just, just for everything, right? Like if a ball goes up the right side, you got to have your head on a swivel to see what's in front of you if you're on the other side of the field and you got to call for that ball, right? So it's not just yeah, on yeah. defensively. Like that's not where I learned my example. It showed me that you just have to have your head on the swivel the whole time and like just taking in all the advice you can, just like being like a sponge. Like I said, like I was fortunate enough to play with guys like Ty Ardron, right? He plays for the Chiefs, uh, right? Like just like that's like the pinnacle of rugby, even like DTH, like playing with Glasgow and stuff like that, like four World Cups, Hubert. So I just had to be like a sponge and just take everything in I could from those guys even if it was like without talking to them and more and like just just w- like watching stuff that they did and like how they were professionals about it um so yeah like i was super fortunate to go and sort of be surrounded by like guys of that caliber um yeah it was it was it was insane it's 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 something i'll never forget who do you think maybe some of canada's future up and coming guys are maybe guys who haven't quite cracked the squad yet or you know yeah i'll <laughs> I don't want to insult any of the boys, of course. Um, and I'll if you're going to talk like stars, so I would assume guys that are scoring tries. Um, no, yeah, I think well, like be. you have Cole, you have Cole Keith. Uh, he's so he's such a, he's a young tight head. Um, he's going to be he's he's great now. He's only going to improve. Even a guy like Matt Tierney playing in Cast France, tight head. Um, I think I think the two guys that are like, and I saw it. I saw it on the the arrows, so I might be biased, but in terms of like uh, up like stars, like I think Ben Lesage and Giuseppe Detroit are like two of the hardest centers in the MLR. I mean, and like I know you got Nanu and stuff, so like Nanu's world class, but the amount of if you watch if if anyone here is an arrows fan and you would watch like the tape on how fast these guys come up and how hard they work it's actually insane like they're they're the reason yeah that might be the hard work and the scrum from the forwards but they're the reason we're getting a stop 12 15 meters back they're rushing up you know what i mean they're running across the field behind us afterwards so like those guys like it was so unfortunate uh for benny he had to leave after the italy game um and then Giuseppe came in and got to play with uh, plays his South Africa, his home nation. But um, the fact uh, that those two are those two are going to be lethal together. They are phenomenal players. So I look forward to seeing them play. Yeah, no bias, but and no hard feelings to any of the other boys. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of a tough. It's one. a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Like if I like. We just all need to work hard and and embrace together. But yeah, those two are those two are my sleepers. So that's who I should pick up if uh, if MLR resumes and we got a fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no insider information, but yeah. <laughs> so 
A couple more questions, two more questions that came from some of the listeners. So what is the biggest misconception about becoming a professional athlete? And then I guess an extension, what is your end goal on the professional end? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think uh, it's so tough to say misconception. I'll, I'll answer it how it is, but um, I think at the end of the day, you know, like, well, like I go to bed, like knowing how fortunate I am, like I've said, to play like a sport for a living. Uh, so it's tough if there's any misconceptions, but I think the one thing there is, and it's tough, but that's part of the, that's part of the job is, you know, for example, if we're playing San, uh, San Diego in San Diego, it's a seven o'clock kickoff. So if we're playing on a Saturday, we'll leave a Friday and, you know, we'll probably have a layover in Chicago because we're not on a chartered flight. So we're going right. to, so you, so we're up for seven, leaving for Chicago on Friday morning. You know, you're up at five o'clock, got to get to the airport more for some guys. Rob Brower coming from Lindsay, you know, the drive to Toronto, Mike, oh, right? Yeah. He's probably up at four o'clock. He's got three kids. You know what I mean? You fly, you fly out you at seven, you eventually land via Chicago into San Diego at 4 PM. You go have a captain's run. You better, you best have been drinking your waters proper proper eating right it's tough at an airport especially in the states the next day you're playing at like what you think is what your body thinks is 10 o'clock and so i think the misconception not that it's a misconception but that some people might not see that like what goes on behind the scenes i guess you know what i mean right and and you know what as a fan like as if after like that happened to me and i go to like a raps game and expit like sit in the seats and so like I can sort of understand what the players have gone through. You know what I mean? If someone misses a shot, and I guess I get you can say, oh, they they make 10 million a year. You should be hitting that shot. But some people don't understand that these guys are getting on flights. You know what I mean? The night after a game, we are fortunate to stay, usually stay the game because our stay the night because our game ends so late. But it's, it's tough, especially on a back to back. I couldn't even imagine in basketball. We got to, you know, as rugby, Saturdays, you play every other game. I'm sure back to backs. You know, raps are if they're going Milwaukee to Toronto, they're on a flight after a Milwaukee game. You're playing a top seed in the East. You're playing at home the next day. You don't get mm-hmm. you don't get to your bed until two a.m. Right? It's tough. So yeah, I can imagine and and playing at different spots too in terms of humidity or altitude. Oh, Colorado's you know? always a bagger. Always. <laughs> so it's it like you wouldn't believe it. You would not believe it, and I didn't at first either. Yeah, I think that would be not that it's a misconception, but what a fan might not acknowledge what what the players have gone through the the previous twenty four hours. So what a fan might not acknowledge, if that makes sense. So yeah, I would say that makes sense. I would say that, and not that the fan isn't appreciative or saying suck it up, but um, yeah, I think a lot goes on behind the scenes. I would say that the rugby guys have it. People like rugby players and football players will have it a little better because the back to backs aren't never happen uh but right. I, I i couldn't imagine the nhl boys and um well the ho- i'll say the hockey boys because ahl it happens i'm sure in the east coast league you're on a bus too which is probably harder uh mm-hmm. so i'll say the hockey and basketball guys i mean it's it's probably the travels the travel is the toughest part so what about uh what's what's your end goal professionally my end goal professionally i think and i and i i heard a Mike Shepard say this and, and it makes a lot of sense. So I'm not stealing it from Shep, but I think I like, I want to be on a team. Like for me, perf- like personally, 
I'm not too like fussed about. I just want. I think I want to just be remembered as like a te- just be being a team player my whole career, and then you know like being on like the first Toronto Aero squad to win like in the MLR. I think that's huge. Like that would be like my team goal, like my 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 personal goals, I guess, for the team, and then my truly personal goals would just being like influencing as many people as I can. It's funny, like sign, like if I sign a kid's shirt. And I'm not saying that, oh, like, like they don't understand that just an average Joe's, that kid doesn't understand that just an average Joe is signing their shirt. So, I mean, you know, if I saw, sign a kid's shirt and, and he's like, oh, yeah, I want to play for the Toronto Rose, like, even that's just being an influence. So, like, if I could right. just be an influence to, like, kids that want to play, uh, like my little cousin, she, like, like I said, they're coming to Arrows games and she wants to play rugby. So, like, if I can influence her, to and they're a family of skiers like so if, if i can influence her and she'll eventually play rugby sorry auntie b but uh you know what I, <laughs> you know what i mean that that i think that's a big thing for me just just influencing kids to want to play um just just sort of like a guy like ray barkwell did to me he was like he's a legend right you know he and i was fortunate enough to get help from him during the world cup and stuff he was like our th- obviously our throwing coach and so it, it's funny how like it works back, it work comes back to you. Like he was our throwing coach, and uh, and like I was like idolizing the guy when I was like, whatever, like fourteen years old, so fifteen, right. sixteen years old. So yeah, I think just like inf- uh, like impacting people like that, that's important for me. Um, and then uh, I've been fortunate enough to play be capped for my country. Uh, I think obviously making more of an impact on that and and really impacting uh, Canadian rugby is important. So yeah, in, in, in impacting people is important to me. And then I think off the field, uh, I think I'd like to do like something, maybe like a ser- like a service. Like I'd always thought being like a cop would be cool uh, or fire. Maybe like I can see myself being a firefighter. Um, but like one of my main goals in life is my sister and I are going to buy a cottage and just sort of have a family cottage. Uh, cause we had a hunt camp in beautiful Burks falls. Um, when I was a kid and then in first year university, my dad got sick. So we sold it, but we had like 130 acres in Burks falls, which was so, and like back then I didn't really appreciate it. Like I'd be like on my game boy and stuff like going up, but right. like now that I, <laughs> now, yeah. Right. And then my dad would be like, Oh, come on now. Like get on your bike, get, have them some fun or whatever. But now, like that, like when he got sick, we sold it, which is too bad. But like, I, I've sort of like discovered I'm like I like being outdoors and stuff like that. So that's honestly one of my main goals. Um, so we'll see, you know, and and just be like a, a cool dad. Like I think that's one of my goals too. And if you're a good person, that usually translates to everything you do. So that's uh, I mean, a super personal answer. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah, everyone. of course, of course. We'll start to wrap things up. And uh, one of the things I want to give you some space to, to talk about is the podcast. And you want to, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, so I, I have this podcast and it's called the Flat Top Podcast. And it's called the Flat Top because I thought a flat white, which is a coffee, was called a flat top. So I went and ordered a flat top and the barista like looked at me like, you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, like just the flat, like anyways. So that's why I named it that. <laughs> and you know what I like I enjoy it and 
to me, it means a lot. And not actually, now that we've done this, I think I can see myself opening up to like Zoom and stuff because like we can still have an intimate conversation, right? And I don't mean intimate between, you know what I mean? I mean that intimacy is there's two there's different types so the social yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the social it's like intimacy. it makes such a difference when i can see you nod your head exactly or, right yeah you know what i mean yeah so yeah i think with that man like people have people and this could be biased but especially in like the rugby world like people like come from such a different backgrounds man like so i think talk you'll never know something about someone and then when i sit down with them at a podcast and like obviously we're gonna chat rugby of course but something else will come out it like it just means a lot to me for them to be able to share that with me and just everyone has too good of stories not to share right so i think i'm gonna i'm sticking with like rugby right now but i think obviously with all this i'm gonna like reach a a, i've been fortunate enough like to have a couple buddies played some high level hockey so reach out with them you know what i mean and then a couple um a couple female rugby players even even a couple female hockey players and stuff like that um or any sport but i think like people have too good of like stories not to tell and not stories as in like a campfire story but like actually like you know what i mean like an in-depth Life conversation experience. that we're having right yeah yeah and like just balance back stories right like how like what you're discussing like injuries and stuff mm-hmm. like that so that's why i do it and uh and and then again it brings it back to personality uh you get to you get to have like a good conversation with someone and it opens up like a relationship and with teammates that's that's super important so yeah it's it's pretty good i'm not going to advertise it much but it's called the flat top podcast if you want to check it out it's it's all right i i back it a bit i am the owner of it so i have to back it but (laughs) this is the pitch (laughs) yeah 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 not it's not too good of a pitch but it's a pitch No, I think it's good. It gives, uh, especially with the ones you do with some of the arrows guys, it's like kind of like a behind the scenes, like who are these guys beyond rugby players? Yeah. So especially with our, as, as someone, you know, external to that, that's what I listen to it for. Yeah. Especially with some of the imports, because like uh, the imports, like they're they're, like full. So I'm expecting to get Taylor Adams on, like he's a U 20 all black, like that's like one of the greatest honors in the rugby world. You know what I mean? Stuff like that, right? Like mm-hmm. he played for the Melbourne Rebels. Like I know in the North American society to a lot of people, like the, it, it, they might not understand what it means, but you know what I mean? You say that at a rugby pitch, like it's huge. And like this guy is like the chillest guy you've ever seen. So, I mean, that's why, that's why I sort of do it too, for people to see like that. Yeah. These people do have different things than just rugby players. Then yeah. they do different things than just uh, rugby players do. So yeah, I think podcasts are a great way to to get that across. Like even what we're doing now and your stuff with the flat top. Um, the other rugby podcast I listen to is La Rouge Rugby uh, with Dan Murphy and Derek Brissett, and that's more of like okay, a yeah. kind of critical look and talking, you know, rosters and decisions and players and games, like recaps and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. But I like that one because it's it's Canadian focused. Yeah, so it's you know. It, it really narrows in on on what can, Canadian rugby is doing, what the arrows are doing, and and even abroad what our what our Canadian players are doing. So it's a good way to kind of keep in with that. And then, like I said, with with your stuff with the flat top, then it's kind of that behind the scenes, which is neat. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a different world now with podcasts, I guess. Yeah. Thanks so much for for coming on. Of course, man. I enjoyed it. I hope you did. I hope uh, hope it was insightful at least a little bit. Thank you for tuning in. 
to the Athletic Perspective podcast. Check us out online via our website, athleticperspective.com. Again, that's athleticperspective, all one word, dot com. Or on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, whatever you prefer. We have some great guests, some great content lined up, so stay tuned for more.